and welcome to Counterpunch Radio. My name is Eric Dreitzer. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to another election special uh, episode. Gosh, I guess this is like number four four or five now. Um, I've almost lost count, but I wanted to try to bring together as many important voices uh, as I could around the election, around what's happening uh, right now, because, I mean, this is really a landmark moment, a, a dare I say, a seminal moment uh, in our politics in the United States, and it obviously has implications for the entire world. And uh, I think that people need to really take stock of where they are and where this is all going. Um, and I know of uh, no one better to talk about some of these issues than Mark Crispin Miller. Uh, he is a returning guest, dare I say, friend of the show. He is uh, the author of a number of important books and books that are definitely relevant to where we are right now. I would just give a quick plug to Loser Take All, Election Fraud and the Subversion of Democracy, as well as the very important important book, Fooled Again, The Real Case for Electoral Reform, the website markcrispinmiller.com, and also, and I don't think I plugged this last time he was on the show, forbiddenbookshelf.com, a very important collection of uh, suppressed literature that I think is really noteworthy and something that people should be uh, aware of and paying attention to. So all of that said, Mark Crispin Miller, welcome back to Counterpunch Radio. Great to be back with you, Eric. A lot, lot to so, talk about here. My God, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, these last few days, we've had this tectonic uh, shift, it seems like, at least shift in the mood in the country, if not the uh, establishment. So, Let's just begin, and this is kind of the way I've begun every one of these election-related uh, episodes here. Let's begin uh, at a very general level because this is such a such a uh, such a monumental moment, I think, in American history. And I want to just get your general take. What is your impression? What are you feeling? What are you thinking since Tuesday, since the uh, alleged election of Donald Trump? What's your take? Yeah, well, the way you phrased it there would kind of tip people off to uh, my view of the situation. I mean, on the one hand, of course, it came as a, as, as a gigantic shock, uh, you know, just a seismic shock, a big surprise. All the uh, evidence uh, prior to Election Day clearly suggested at the very least a close race and likelier than that, uh, a victory for Hillary Clinton. Uh, and then, what do you know, uh, on election day itself, there was a, an upset victory, to say the least. Or I should say another upset victory. Because while this was, on the one hand, as I say, a big surprise to everyone, uh, to those of us who've been observing our elections uh, for the last decade and a half, it, it really wasn't that surprising. Once the initial shock wore off, it, it became depressingly clear that this uh, upset victory was very much like uh, Bush Cheney's upset victories in 2000 and 2004, uh, that all of a sudden uh, it appeared that, that all that data pointing in one direction was somehow oddly mistaken. And that, um, you know, what people think of as the last best poll, the election itself, had given us a jolt of truth that everyone had been blind to, if you see what I mean. Now, um, 
let me make clear to people who are exulting in Trump's victory because it has meant the takedown of Hillary Clinton that um, I uh, am by no means a Clinton supporter. I never was. And in fact, was quite outspoken in deploring uh, the serial theft of the nomination, the Democratic Party nomination, by the DNC and by the corporate media uh, through the spring and summer, uh, through a, you know, a staggering range of, of uh, vote suppression tricks and uh, you know, computerized election fraud tactics, uh, something that's, that's been pointedly uh, authoritatively documented in the study Democracy Lost from Election Justice USA. Uh, just, to, just to make the point clear again, you know, I, I've, I've been sounding the alarm about the theft of the nomination uh, and now here we are after election day, and and I I have to say we're we're finding the same kind of evidence that that Trump and the Republicans stole the general election. On the one hand, there was a carnival of vote suppression, uh, especially throughout the swing states. Greg Pallast uh, has reported in Rolling Stone that the Republican Party used the cross-check system to purge the names of over a million voters from the electronic rolls from coast to coast. And in North Carolina, in Ohio, in Wisconsin, in Florida, there were all kinds of, of uh, vote suppression tricks and tactics used, all too familiar to those of us you know, who, who, who closely studied, say, the 2004 election. Well, it happened again, enough vote suppression to make the case that millions of Americans were prevented from casting their ballots on this election day. In addition to which, we have now looked at the exit poll results, especially for the most crucial swing states. And we find that in four or five of them, the exit polls diverged from the official count above the margin of error, uh, clearly enough to have um, you know, benefited Donald Trump clearly enough to have given him this victory in the Electoral College. So, you know, uh, on the one hand, gratified as I am that uh, Hillary Clinton was not elected, uh, you know, for various reasons we can go into, I have to say that, that there is enough evidence to satisfy me and quite a few other election integrity activists that Donald Trump's victory was, was fraudulent as well and that the Republicans prevailed by um, subverting the will of the electorate. Mark, let me let me bring up the data here in case anybody uh, is not sure what you're referring to. So typically, typically when exit polling is done, and by the way, let me just let me just say if you if you haven't listened to my interview with Bob Fetrakis, where we covered a lot of this information, I recommend you do that as well. He is one of the leading experts on this subject. He's written books about it. He's a professor, you know, of pol political science. He's probably the leading authority in the United States, along with Harvey Wasserman and maybe a few others right. on this subject. Right. And I had this conversation with him, and I want to bring in the data right now in case this is people's first uh, listen to the show. North Carolina exit poll margin in favor of Hillary Clinton, 2.1%. Final vote margin, 3.8% for Donald Trump. That's a flip of 5.9%, so almost 6%, which is three times 
the threshold for a discrepancy that would raise eyebrows in Washington had this election happened in another country. So almost 6% vote discrepancy between the uh, exit polls. That's North Carolina. Pennsylvania, almost the same, 5.6% discrepancy. Wisconsin, 4.9%. Florida, 2.6%. And then, of course, you could also throw in Michigan, which was 0.3%, So, but that's kind of within the margin, right. and Minnesota as well. And then, of course, we also can look at Ohio, which was a dead heat. It had Trump up by 0.1%. It ended with Trump winning by 8.6%. Right. So you look at you look at these key states without North Carolina and Ohio and Florida and Pennsylvania, Trump is sunk. He's nowhere That's right. in this election. That's right. So when we talk about when we talk about, you know, the stealing of this election, I mean, just looking at the data, the case as far as I'm concerned is pretty clear. I think it's I think it's crystal clear. I mean, I'm I'm let, let's put it this way. Um, this is more than enough evidence to justify a, a serious audit of of those election results, and I'm not saying that because I believe that the um, outcome should be overturned or reversed because I think that would be politically impossible. And again, I, I also think that you know Hillary Clinton having stolen the nomination in the first place, you know she would make a kind of an inappropriate vessel for uh, some kind of um, you know move towards uh, election righteousness, if you see what I mean. I think that the point of this kind of necessary investigation, and I can't emphasize this strongly enough, is, is to um, kickstart at long last a serious push to reform this country's disgraceful voting system. We, we, we have the worst voting system in the developed world. I mean, this sounds like a hyperbolic statement on my part, no doubt, but it's actually based on, a, on the latest uh, electoral integrity study that was done by Harvard University and the University of Sydney, came out in February, and it ranks the United States dead last in the developed world on electoral integrity. And um, Jimmy Carter said in 2006, he was interviewed on NPR about elections in Nicaragua, uh, he was asked if the uh, Carter Center would monitor elections in the United States. And he said that they would not do it because um, our elections don't rise to the minimal level where the Carter Center would even bother to monitor them. I mean, this is, this is really, this is, this is serious. We represent ourselves as, as the beacon of democracy. We represent ourselves as a country that, that has the right as well as the capacity to impose quote-unquote, democracy worldwide at gunpoint. Uh, this is all based on, on uh, a, a very dangerous delusion that we enjoy de uh, electoral democracy in this country. We don't. We don't have it. So, you know, my interest in this, uh, I have to say, really transcends this current conflict between two corrupt parties and has to do with, with the need to, to break out of this 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 uh, trap that we're in, you know, where the, the parties seem to hand off uh, leadership of the country, uh, neither party representing our best interests, to say the least. And and I, I I have to say, you know, after having spent like a decade and a half fighting this battle, that it's in a way kind of exhilarating, uh, and it's the only way it's exhilarating, to see that that, that the consequences of this problem are now so 
egregious, you know, that, it, that it's, it's going to be impossible not to get people to begin to focus on it. You know, the press won't discuss this. I mean, how, how, many, how many theories have we now seen trotted out to explain Trump's victory? I can think of about a dozen. Just today, Hillary Clinton has come out blaming Comey for doing it. Yesterday, a piece came out the DNC is blaming the arrogance of the Clinton staff. And now, I'm sure these things are all, to some extent, truthful in themselves, but they don't actually account for a victory that was achieved through the same fraudulent tactics that the GOP has used in the past, not just in Bush Cheney's two ostensible elections, but in countless uh, down ticket victories in the Senate, in the House, and so on. You know, um, I think it's time for the press, the left press in particular, people like Noam Chomsky. It's time for the left and liberal not-for-profits. It's time for you know the left and liberal publications and TV shows. It's time for all of all of them to face the fact that our elections are completely corrupt. And that if we don't really thoroughly, radically reform the voting system and otherwise reinvigorate our democratic culture, we're, we're really screwed. You know, we're absolutely screwed. Well, there's no doubt. And I, I just want to point out something here. Um, and again, I, I, I said this in multiple episodes, but I feel – Jesus, I feel compelled to say it again. Um, I – consider i consider hillary clinton to potentially be the most vile person on the planet uh i i find her to be i mean lower than the lowest lo of the low you know i i have nothing but contempt for her and for everything she stands for and for everything she's done she and her husband and the rest of their coterie of ghouls and i do take a tremendous amount of pleasure in watching them crash and burn but I don't take pleasure in where this is going and what the material reality of all of this is. And you could sit and point to a number of abstract, uh, um, you know, examples or uh, abstract explanations for how this happened. It was Comey. It was uh, the white lash, white working class anger. It was a uh, lack of uh, black voter turnout. It was voter suppression. It was many other, many other things that we could point to, but the mechanics of this, the material reality, objective reality, is what I would like uh, people to begin to focus on. Forget Hillary Clinton, forget Donald Trump, forget Democrat, forget Republican. Look at the results of the election. Look at the results in those key states, and tell me that it's not only that it's not suspicious, and tell me that it doesn't require an investigation. Not only do we need an investigation, we need to expose the fact that both parties are criminally responsible for this, and both parties are criminally acting against the interests of the people in this country, and the stealing of an election is one way in which they do that. That's absolutely true. It is, it is I think, the primary way in which they do that, to tell you the truth. You know, there, there, are, there are just too many people on the left who, who, who tend to yawn in your face when you talk about the need to fix the voting system. I mean, they'll, they'll say, with justice... Uh, that the two parties are identical, there are no choices, it doesn't matter. Well, probably the most important reason why the two parties, the two near-identical parties, have the stranglehold on power that they have is because the voting system is in their hands 
which uh, enables them to prevent the emergence of any kind of an alternative. Now, you know, some people will be critical of Bernie Sanders because he's, he wasn't left enough, because he caved too soon, because he wasn't anti-militaristic enough, etc. The, the, the fact of the matter is that Bernie Sanders did offer a, a very significant alternative to the status quo, which is precisely why he had such vast support. He had, uh, you know, uh, an, an immeasurably greater chance of beating Donald Trump than Hillary Clinton ever had. Bernie Sanders even had support out on the right. He would have mopped up the floor with Donald Trump, and he actually won the nomination of his party. Uh, again, I can't stress this strongly enough. He was done in through the spring and summer, through the usual array of vote suppression tricks and, and computerized election fraud tactics, uh, so that Hillary Clinton was basically imposed on us, and that uh, you know healthy and urgent alternative was wiped out. And then his name was you know it, it slipped right down the memory hole. I mean the press never mentions him. His name he's the forgotten man, right? Well, I mean there if 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 a good example is needed, there is a very clear example of how the the corruption of the voting system has uh, had prevented any kind of deviation, significant deviation from the bipartisan uh, tyranny that's uh, really threatening all of us and that is threatening us just as much now that Donald Trump is surrounding himself with, you know, some some really dangerous people. I, you know, understand the desire to believe that he may shake things up. I don't see any evidence either in his background or in, in the team that he's assembling that that's going to happen. You know, uh, and, and again, we have to say that, that it, it's, it's the corruption of the voting system that has, that has landed us here, you know? Well, well, that's absolutely correct. And so, you know, first of all, let's be, let's be very clear about what we're, what we're witnessing uh, congealing like the blob coming out of the lagoon. Uh, you know, it is what amounts to the most right-wing reactionary administration maybe ever certainly in recent memory um i mean you want to compare it to the bush administration it compares quite favorably from the far right perspective and a lot of the a lot of the people are straight out of the bush administration you hear names like john bolton and james woolsey and and uh you know all of these type of neocons that are being floated around there yeah of course it's not the neocons who publicly backed hillary clinton but it's basically their good friends that they go out to dinner with and 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 share ideology with so you know in point of fact the notion of shaking things up or this this absolutely inane phrase draining the swamp you know this is complete nonsense and anybody believing it is got to be out of their minds because quite frankly what we're witnessing instead is simply a, a a reincarnation of the worst aspects of the bush and reagan administrations rebranded as anti-establishment that is ultimately what we're seeing and so in effect i i foresee a essentially the rats abandoning the ship. Those neocons who backed Hillary Clinton are now just going to backdoor their way right into the Trump administration. So why anybody would think that this is some kind of a qualitative shift or that this is the death knell of imperialism and neoliberalism, they got to be out of their minds. 
Yeah, I, 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 I think that's true. I mean, I have to say that the, the, the big swatch of silver lining that I perceived when this, uh, you know, surprise overtook all of us was that uh, a war with Russia seemed a lot less likely, you know, under yep. Trump than under than under Hillary Clinton. Once that uh, feeling of relief wore off, however, I immediately began to worry that that uh, Trump may yet be persuaded to pivot against Russia, depending yeah. on on you know who gets to him, depending on w- what pressures are brought to bear on him by the top brass of the Pentagon as well as the neocons. And Mark, let's just let's just let's just accept for just for the argu- for the sake of argument, let's accept the idea that a Trump presidency means less likelihood of outright confrontation with Russia. I'm not sure that I agree I, that I believe that, and I do agree with you on that point. But let's assume that it does. Trump is talking about jump-starting and reinvigorating the coal industry and the fracking exactly, industry. Exactly. You're talking. You're talking about another existential threat. You wanna. You wanna say that the World War III existential threat was averted. The climate threat is right upon us. That's right. And we're and we're looking at an administration in the country that is one of the worst. Uh. Uh. You know, emitters of of um. Uh, greenhouse gases now talking about accelerating yeah. that process. Well, at the right. time, yeah, l- yeah. Let me ahead. jump in there. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. It's absolutely true. I mean, somebody, and I, I, I wish I could remember his name because I would credit him, made the point that each candidate seemed to pose an existential threat to planetary survival. Yep. She threw uh, risking nuclear war and he threw throwing, you know, all restraint out the window on, on, uh, you know, um, trying to uh, reverse climate change. Uh, okay, let, let's, let's jump ahead from that uh, pre-electoral moment to a recent piece in the New York Times, it was yesterday or the day before, about how uh, Trump is now threatening to undo Obama's legacy on the environment. That was a front page piece, a kind of, you know, yeah, uh, Obama's, uh, legacy. Obama's legacy. Okay, and I, I read this, you know, with, with, with the usual a sense of astonishment with which I always read the New York Times, <laughs> asking myself, what, what is that legacy? What is Obama's legacy on the environment? And I, you know, I searched through the article, and his legacy was he signed the Paris Accords, which are insufficient and toothless and cosmetic, and he has said a lot of things about the environment that sound really cool. Meanwhile, his actual policies have not done the environment any good at all. The, yep. the difference between Obama and Trump on the environment is the difference between a kind of neoliberal lip service to the right cause or to the right approach and actual policies that are in their way as destructive as, as you know, what came before. This reminds me of the fact, for example, that both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump uh, planned to cut Social Security. He announced it outright. Uh, she was very quiet about it, right? Both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are avid backers of fracking, okay? Um, yep. She was very cool and quiet about this. It only came out in the WikiLeaks emails. Uh, he, you know, was out front about it. What we're witnessing now, and, and this is an elaboration on the point you made a moment ago, is the difference between, uh, you know, typically hypocritical and disingenuous neoliberal candidates who nevertheless felt some obligation at least to pay lip service to the progressive side of things. That's now been replaced by a candidate and a team that exult 
in their emancipation from what they call political correctness so that they don't even feel the obligation to pay any lip service to these causes, if you see what I mean. They are less hypocritical than the people they've displaced. But that makes them, in a funny way, more dangerous because they don't even have to pretend to pay attention to any critics on the left, if you see what I mean. So they are they are completely unrestrained. I mean, they well, would you know, it's the old Malcolm X. It's the Malcolm X uh, quote. Um, and now I'm I can only paraphrase it. I, I can't do it word for word. So forgive me if I slaughter it. But it was basically that um, the difference between the white liberal and the white conservative is the difference between the fox and the wolf. That they that they will both show their teeth. The wolf in a growl and the fox in a smile. But either way, they'll both eat you. That's right. And it, it would be a little less alarming in this case if there were some kind of checks and balance set up uh, at work uh, under this administration. But now that they have stolen their way to control the Congress as well, um, you know, I really wonder uh, how on earth it's going to be possible to, to counter the worst impulses of this administration when the same party is in control of the House and Senate. And then you got, you know, the backup here, should Donald Trump meet with an unfortunate accident, is uh, Mike Pence, you know. Yes, exactly. Is, I made that I made that exact point. This is you're talking about somebody who really fits the label of a Christian fascist. I mean, this is somebody who is fully committed to uh not only the sort of ideology that we would associate with a term like Christian fascist. This is somebody who doesn't even who doesn't even fit into the category of Donald Trump. He doesn't even he doesn't even pay any, uh, you know, lip service to anti-neoliberalism. He's perfectly happy selling out working people in Indiana, right to work, anti-labor, anti-union, uh pro-neoliberal, pro-free trade. I mean, this is somebody who would take the worst aspects of Donald Trump and add to them the worst aspects of Hillary Clinton. Well, exactly. And, and- and, and a feral uh, anti-abortion activist, right? Right. Yes, that's 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 kind of what I'm getting at with the Christian fascism. Well, that's between right. The homosexual conversion therapy yeah. to the anti-abortion politics and all of the rest. Of well, that. They, he's he's Ted Cruz, but he doesn't have a face you want to punch. You know, that's that's basically <laughs> the difference. That's who Mike Pence is, and that's 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 the that's the backup that Donald Trump has given us. You know, but yeah. let's 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 talk a little bit about about how this may have gone down because. It's, it's extremely interesting uh, if we can just kind of calm down enough just to take a look back at this entire year as, 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 as a year of living more dangerously than ever uh, because of our denial of, of election fraud. I mean, here we had step one, the theft of the nomination from Bernie Sanders by the Democratic Party, by the DNC, uh, by Hillary's campaign and by the corporate media. Step two was the typically startling uh, upset victory by the Republicans, also demonstrably based on the same kinds of tactics. Now, rumor had it throughout the spring, and, and these rumors were, were pretty compelling uh, and credible, that uh, when it came to the computerized election fraud that was used to screw Bernie Sanders out of the nomination, uh, Team Clinton was relying on some assistance from Republican operatives. And the reason why this is credible is that computerized election fraud has, since 2000, been a Republican Party specialty. This was Karl Rove's particular genius. And it's also worth pointing out that the 
you know, there's this meme floating around that George Soros owns Smartmatic, which is one of the somewhat smaller voting machine companies. This is actually false. Soros has only a very tenuous connection with that company. The fact is that the big, the big companies, you know, the companies like ESNS and so on, uh, were founded and are owned and managed not just by Republicans, but by extremely right-wing Republicans with theocratic inclinations. Um, and I could go into this kind of chapter and verse, but it would get us into the weeds of corporate ownership. Suffice it to say that computerized election fraud is basically a specialty of the Republican Party. And so when we saw, um, you know, for example, in Massachusetts, where in every precinct where the votes were paper ballots counted in the open, Bernie Sanders won by double digits. Whereas in all those other precincts where the votes were machine counted, Hillary Clinton won. You know, this is just one example of something that we saw coast to coast throughout the primary season. So it is, it is quite likely, it is more than likely that in taking down uh, Bernie Sanders, it was a kind of a bipartisan collaboration, if not conspiracy. This raises the, the distinct possibility that, that uh, Hillary Clinton got played. And, and this, I, I, I freely acknowledge, is only a speculation on my part. But it is looking as if uh, Hillary Clinton and the Democrats believed that they had such significant support from the Republican establishment, you know, with the Bush family backing them and the neocons backing them and so on, and having worked with Republicans to uh, secure the nomination for a very unpopular candidate. It, it, it is possible that they just got, you know, they didn't know what was coming, that they were going to be, uh, you know, uh, victims of another upset victory, no less than Al Gore and John Kerry had been. Let me just tell a quick story about how Hillary won the 2008 primary in New Hampshire. Those of us old enough to recall will we'll vividly remember she came limping out of Iowa uh, in, yep. in, uh, in 2008. It looked like it was curtains for her. New Hampshire was shaping up to be a smashing victory for Obama. Obama's rallies were packed. Hers, you know, echoed with the sounds of crickets. Uh, her campaign was demoralized. She even wept in an interview a few days before that election day. And then to everyone's amazement, I think including her own, she won. Do you remember this? She won. Of course. Incredible. How could I forget? And typically, the press came up with an absolutely brilliant explanation for this. They all said that she won because she had cried. She had cried in that interview. Hillary cried, and therefore she won. You know, this is yeah. to call this stupid is to praise it. Okay, this this is like. Um, you know, the woman on the uh, Titanic who turned on the light in her stateroom just before the ship hit the iceberg and thought that she had caused the crash by flipping on the light, you know? <laughs> you know, we know that this is a fallacy, post hoke, ergo propter hoke, after it, there, right? Okay, now, out there in the world of journalists, there was actually someone with a functioning adult mind, a woman named Dory Smith, a radio reporter in Connecticut, who actually knew something about how the votes were counted in New Hampshire and indeed throughout New England. The machines in New England were um, maintained by a company called LHS Programming, 
which like most of the companies involved in electronic voting, as I've said, is a Republican company. So Dory Smith, from her office in Connecticut, made some phone calls to county clerks in New Hampshire. She called about a half a dozen. And she asked them, did you have any problems with your machines on election day? And a number of them said, no, we didn't have any problems. Uh, someone from LHS came by a few days before the election and fixed them. Okay. Oh, there you go. Now that's first of all illegal. You can't just show up at a county clerk's office and do something to the machines. But it also, you know, offers us uh, a, a rational explanation for her surprising victory, and it does suggest that the Republicans not wanting to run John McCain against Barack Obama, but wanting very much to, to run John McCain against, you know, Hanoi Jane Clinton, because remember, he was Rambo at the time. Yeah. Well, they, they, they simply did what you can do when you, when you are in charge of the machinery of elections, and they saw to it that she would win an upset victory. You know, I, I think it's important for us to, to understand both how precarious our elections really are, and, and how much power these interests uh, exert over them, and also uh, about the fact that the two parties are not as, as not as um, you know rigidly opposed as as we often like to think that sometimes they'll work together. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Um, okay, let's take a break. I want to pick up there, and I want to shift gears to a couple of other uh, issues. Um, chatting with Mark Crispin Miller again. Uh, MarkCrispinMiller.com is a very important site to go to. Make it part of your normal rotation. Also, ForbiddenBookshelf.com. Lots of very important titles there uh, that you can get in the form of eBooks, but um, you're really not going to get them anywhere else. And of course, uh, since we've been speaking about it, you know, uh, Mark is not exactly uh, you know an amateur on this stuff. You got to follow uh, all of the work that he's done for more than a decade and a half, including the very important book, Fooled Again, The Real Case for Electoral Reform. If we didn't have a case for electoral reform before last Tuesday, we certainly do now. So uh, let's, uh, let's take a break and we will be right back.
Punch Radio. I'm chatting with Mark Crispin Miller. Uh, so we were talking a lot about vote fraud, uh, the stealing of the election. Great anecdote you gave us because I, 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 you know, before the break there, because I think that it it definitely demonstrates some of the call it the mechanics of stealing elections, how this is done, uh, because. This is something that I think for a lot of people they've sort of relegated it to the uh you know to the to the world of the conspiracy theory I think quite wrongly in fact this is much more than a theory I think we have a lot of threads for investigation and I agree with you that the notion that this is all because we want to uh you know overturn the results and put Hillary Clinton into power is absolutely false if anything that would be the worst case scenario under this because that would give her all the legitimacy in the world Exactly. Uh, rather, exactly. rather, I think what we what we what we want to point out is that the government that is coming into power is 100 percent illegitimate and all decisions they will make are illegitimate and that that needs to be one of the bases around which we organize against the Trump administration. That's right. I, I think we I think that any argument, um, you know, in, in that direction should be cast as um, an indictment of the entire election itself, uh, not just Trump and his victory in the general, but Hillary uh, in in her serial victories throughout yep. the primary season. That the entire freak show was a fraud. You know, I mean, I I, I often call it the hog and phony show. You know, the the Trump and Clinton <laughs> show. It, it was all based on on. Uh, 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 election fraud and vote suppression you know the electorate was basically tuned out you know so so this is not about uh, uh reversing the election i'm not sympathetic to this push to get the electors to try to vote for her next month i think that's Jesus, uh, no, politically God. impossible and 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 wrong you know precisely because she was not actually the real choice of the democratic party electorate i think what we need to do as you say and as i've said is to is to get 
everybody finally to snap out of their long trance on this issue, a trance induced by the successful application of the conspiracy theory smear to any attempt to discuss this issue intelligently, you know? I mean, um, when Donald Trump himself said before the election repeatedly that it was going to be rigged, uh, he was actually right. I mean, he was wrong in, in the way that he said it was going to happen. He said it would happen through people voting 15 times for crooked Hillary. Well, it's, it's pretty much impossible for anyone to vote 10 or 15 times. This is not 1860. It's not 1960. It's impossible for uh, all too many people in this country to vote even one time. You know, This is an old meme, the voter fraud meme, that the Republicans used successfully for years to get all kinds of Jim Crow uh, regulations and requirements passed throughout the country. Now we have voter ID requirements in 30 states precisely because of this big lie about voter fraud. So Trump was wrong about that, and he did benefit on Election Day from those requirements, you know, because so many people were disenfranchised because of it. He was, however, absolutely right to say that elections can be rigged, and his, um, you know, uh, statements to that effect immediately sparked this hysterical reaction throughout the press, claiming it was simply outrageous, absolutely false, and even subversive and dangerous for him to suggest such a thing. Of course, parenthetically, the Russians could hack our voting system. That they were willing to accept. Otherwise, however, somehow in this country, our elections are sacrosanct. They're not stolen. And this is something that, you know, we heard not only from the New York Times and the Washington Post and CNN and the rest of them, but we heard it from Rachel Maddow and, and you know, everybody on the so-called left as well. And having said this, I want to I focus on one particular leftist celebrity who said something really remarkable. I think it was yesterday morning on Morning Joe. This is Michael Moore, who was there to talk about... Um, why so many you know, white working class uh, Michiganders and, and also people in Wisconsin cast their votes for Donald Trump. And to a certain extent, you know, he, was, he was very compelling and even moving in indicting the press and the liberal establishment for its uh, obnoxious arrogance toward working class concerns. On that, he was very good. Then he, he made a detour into a statement that was not only you know, not only contradicted everything he had just said, but it was based on a really kind of radical misunderstanding of how election fraud works. Uh, having just made the point that you know white working class Michiganders were all voting for Trump, he then turned around and said that a lot of people in Michigan uh, didn't really believe they had a, an acceptable choice in the election. And to uh, prove that point, he noted that 90,000 people in Michigan, and these were presumably black uh, members of the working class or former members of the working class, 90,000 of these people had filled out their ballots completely but did not vote for president. This he interpreted as a protest on their part, actually suggesting that 90,000 people had bothered to go to the polls were able to get into the polls, filled out their ballots, did all the referendums, all the down ticket votes and so on, but, but refrained from voting for president. He interpreted this very confidently as proof of his point that all those people, like himself, 
saw no really acceptable choice in the election. Okay. Now, the fact is that this has happened before. It happened to Al Gore in uh, Florida, for example, where in South Florida, in the three counties, the South Florida counties that had been targeted for you know, massive election fraud and vote suppression, 20,000 people had filled out their ballots completely, but somehow, oddly enough, didn't vote for president. Okay? This was clearly uh, something that happened not as the result of any kind of conscious protest in Michigan, not as the result of the fact in Florida that those 27,000 people were too old to know how to vote, which was the explanation trotted out at the time. This is clearly evidence of election fraud. This is clearly evidence of undervotes created through a, a particular kind of hacking. This happens all the time. The fact that you know, Michael Moore couldn't even conceive of this possibility is a good example of, of a kind of blindness that we see, you know, not only throughout the media, uh, you know, in its, in its corporate guise, but also all the way over on the ostensible left, that, that you know, this kind of thing just doesn't go on. Uh, and, and, and it does. It, it does demonstrably. And unless and until we face it and take, you know, real sensible, radical steps to fix it, um, we're, we're doomed. There's no doubt about that, and and look, it's not something that we can that we can necessarily prove. You know, you can't prove that you know ninety thousand people didn't choose not to vote for you know president. It's I mean, you know, you can do it, but I will just tell you from my experience and speaking to people and knowing people, not just politically minded people, but people I know in my own family, people I know in my everyday life, in my working life, I don't know anybody anywhere who goes to the poll and doesn't vote for president. Yeah, right. I've never I, it doesn't you don't do that. I know plenty of people myself included who don't bother to vote at all because they don't really believe in the 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 entire system and they don't see, you know, they don't they don't support either major candidate or whatever. I could there are millions of people who don't bother to vote, but to go to the poll to vote for, you know, senator or to vote for a local proposition or something like that and not to mark the presidential boxes I, I find that very hard to believe. Now, I could believe it if it was 10 people right. who, you know, out of a protest didn't want to vote for either one of them and didn't know anything about the Green Party or whatever. That I could believe. 90,000? Forget it. No, right. And, 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 and note that he didn't say they wrote anybody in. I mean, you could conceivably imagine 90,000 people writing in something. That's a huge number for writing. That, that's I, huge. I mean, that's, I, that, even that I wouldn't no, believe. No, of course. It would strain credulity. I'm, I'm, yeah, you know, yeah. the point is that his, yeah. his explanation is, is utterly preposterous. I, I think it's probably appropriate for me to mention that there is one group uh, working out there that's actually working seriously to um, bring about the kind of radical election reform that we need. We're talking here about you know, really stringent um, uh, laws that will finally prevent all this vote suppression. The Democrats could have done this a long time ago. They've been strangely reluctant to take any steps to, to, to just wipe out vote suppression. You know, we could have people be registered automatically on their 18th birthdays. This would be extremely simple. It would save tons of money. They do it in other countries. We could do it here. This group is working on that. This group is working on phasing out the use of electronic voting machines and electronic uh, uh, optical scanners to count votes. 
They're working on getting rid of the private companies, you know, just banning their participation in the election system because we cannot have a system that's privatized or computerized. You know, they're, they're, they're really trying to do this kind of thing, and they're, and they're working with uh, activists in civil rights, uh, environmental justice, and climate balance because those activists understand that their causes are doomed if we don't have a righteous voting system. The group is called the National Election Defense Coalition. Its, uh, its website is electiondefense.org. Uh, you know, uh, they're, they're now working on a number of things that I, I election, can't... Uh, I'm sorry, election dissent as in D-I-S-S-E-N-T, dissent? Uh, no, defense, like defense oh, department. Oh, defense. Oh, defense. Yeah, electiondefense.org. They're working on a number of things, some of which are, are you know, I, I, I don't want to talk about publicly, but they're... Um, they're really, really important ventures. They, they actually have a fair chance of success. You know, they need support from people, financial support, because they are a not-for-profit. And, and I'm, I'm working with them because I actually believe in what they're doing. These are friends and comrades of mine from years and years of working on this issue. All the other liberal groups that, that, that purport to concern themselves with election defense, are, you know, they're really all about getting out the vote on election day, they always had their hands out prior to election day, and then they failed to get the vote on election day. And, you know, there's an upset victory by the right. I mean, these are half measures, you know. Uh, they don't get to the root of the problem, and this is one group that really is doing that. Yes, definitely. And I think that uh, these are all very important initiatives that we need to be uh, focusing on, especially considering I mean, what's at stake here, you know, and let me just say, I want to give a little bit of an anecdote here. Uh, in December of 2015, uh, I was part of a delegation that went to Venezuela for the uh, parliamentary elections there, uh, parliamentary elections, which I would add were uh, dominated by the right wing that won a significant victory, their first victory since 1998 and the, uh, the, the ascendance of Hugo Chavez. So it was a monumental moment. And leading up to that, the first days that we were there, we were lucky enough to be invited into the CNE, that's the uh, uh, Consejo uh, Nacional Electoral, the, electoral na the, the National Electoral Council, and they essentially walked us through and gave us a demonstration of the voting system in Venezuela. I mean... You, it would be in your wildest dreams. Would you, would you, would you want to see a voting system like that in the United States? This is a foolproof uh, 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 system created where there cannot be vote fraud. I mean, it's literally impossible. I watched how the machines work. You go, you have to scan, uh, you have to show ID. You go, you enter in your vote. It prints out a paper receipt. You have to verify that paper receipt. You have to sign a document saying that the that the receipt reflects the vote you actually cast. Mm -hmm. You then have to submit. I mean, there's a full paper trail, a full auditing trail. They are automatically required by law to audit the results results of any election that is even remotely close. I mean, there are many safeguards in place in Venezuela to ensure that their elections are valid and that their elections are secure to the point where in a time when the right wing was suggesting that the government was going to fix the election, the election came and the government got killed. Right. And, and the right wing won a huge victory. And the count, in that. the count is transparent, isn't it? 
and that it's totally transparent right. to the point where I, vote fraud in Venezuela is a physical impossibility. Right. You know, at least on a large scale, I suppose maybe there are some ways to manipulate a tiny fraction, but it is almost impossible. Yeah. And then I went and did the voting here in this country this year. I filled in a little piece of paper. I put it into the little jacket. I slid that thing into the machine and that was it. That's right. I don't know what the machine registered. I have no clue what the final tally was. I don't know whether, let me tell you, I'm in a tiny little voting district in about an hour plus north of New York City in an area that is very much Trump and I cast a vote for Jill Stein. I would be very interested to know whether that vote was actually reflected in the final vote count. Well, you never know that you never will know because there's 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 simply no no way to to figure this out. I mean, it is astonishing to me that people uh, actually can claim with a straight face that the numbers we get are are reliable, especially when they're so uh, you know spectacularly contradicted by the exit polls. I mean, this is the you know the triumph of faith over reason. You know, these well, these are people who will sneer at Christianists for believing that the universe is six thousand years old, uh, and yet they'll they'll willingly believe the most preposterous uh, results of elections. You know, I mean, it's like believing the magic bullet theory. You know, there's a whole there's a whole range of um, delusions that that well-educated liberals subscribe to. You know, so I'm, I I get very impatient with people sneering at the stupidity and unsophistication of those, you know, lummoxes who vote for Republicans because plenty of good liberals are are just as easily persuaded by preposterous claims it seems to me. Yeah, and I think it's partially out of a fear of being branded a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist. I think it's partially because look, I, we have to be honest about it. There the, the vast majority of liberals vote for team blue. They they hold the blue pennant and uh they're perfectly happy when team blue wins and then they're upset when team red wins, but they're comfortable with the game. They like the game. They play the game. And sometimes they win and sometimes they lose, but the game it is. And it's people like you and me who are pretty much never happy Happy with what comes well, out of any election, who are sober enough to be able to say, you know what, the whole thing is complete bullshit. That's right. I mean, I listen. I, I'm going to be perfectly honest here. I mean, if if I thought that Trump was actually elected by a majority, I would be no less frightened than I am now. Okay. I yeah. mean, I, I I think that the consequences of his his uh, taking the helm are are going to be catastrophic. But I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be. Um, I, I would. I would bow to it. You know. I. I, I wouldn't be uh, making any statements about its illegitimacy just because I disapproved of the result. Exactly. Whereas I'm. I'm afraid there are all too many. You know. Uh, Democrats who wear that jersey, the blue jersey with the big D on it, who will just reflexively, on principle, call it a fraud. Yeah. And it's a cynical move. You know. I mean. I. I, I do believe in democracy, you know, and the people in this movement, the election integrity movement, believe in democracy. It is a very nonpartisan group of people. You know, there are some extremely righteous right wingers who also believe in democracy. You know, Mike Connell, who was Karl Rove's IT guru and who helped him steal the election of 2004 by managing this very sophisticated computer setup uh, in Ohio. Uh, was was kind of stricken. He had pangs of conscience over it later on. And, um, you know, this gets us into another story entirely. 
he ended up um, perishing when his small plane crashed um, in uh, 2008. Sure, that's convenient. Uh, well, yeah, and his widow and sister are both convinced that Karl Rove was behind this. Uh, I tend to agree with them. But the fact is that, that he and, and other people on the right who worked with him in, in the world of elections and computers and so on were also troubled, actually, by uh, either what they had done or what they had witnessed. Uh, I don't know enough liberals or liberal Democrats who actually care about election integrity. You know, It, it tends to be people who um, put the interests of democracy itself and the people overall above the interests of a particular party. Let me add that the only candidate uh, in the field this last time who actually had a decent uh, position on election fraud was Jill Stein, who, whose uh, advisor on this issue, as you may know, was Bob Vitrakis, you know. Yep. Uh, she she talked about the issue. Um, she she recognized its importance, and of course she was the, the of all the four candidates the one who was the most ruthlessly tuned out and the most frequently attacked as a conspiracy theorist uh, yep. for that and other reasons. You know, you're absolutely well, and also, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, well, and also um, if we're gonna be if we're gonna be perfectly honest about it, I have to tell you just. I can't prove any of this, obviously, so it's just a feeling. It's a speculation, a theory of mine. But I tend to believe that the uh, that the vote counts were not only thrown in favor of Donald Trump. I have a feeling that Jill Stein's numbers were suppressed specifically to prevent people from thinking that there was a vibrant and active left in this country that was rejecting both parties. I, I mean, if you look at the numbers for Jill Stein, uh, they are low, and obviously nobody expected uh, even in your wildest fantasies that they would be in the double digits. But 1%, I think I, I expected a significantly higher showing than that. And I think there's every reason to believe that the that the uh, votes that were rigged in favor of Donald Trump were also stolen from Jill Stein. I, and also perhaps also Gary Johnson. I, I'd be perfectly willing to accept that as well. So in other words, we don't know but there is ample evidence to suggest that the that none of the vote counts for any of the candidates are legitimate or valid. No, I, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, people have observed, you know, that, that considering how many Bernie supporters were out there who had absolutely no intention of voting for Hillary Clinton, it is a little bit hard to believe that so tiny a percentage of that very large group of voters would, would, would not have would have voted for Jill Stein. You know, you would have and to expected be sure, more. And, and, and to be to be fair, I do believe, and I said this publicly many times, and I'll stand by it, that most of the Bernie supporters who said they'll never vote for Hillary ultimately cow were, were cowed by the threat of Trump and did vote for Hillary. I'm perfectly willing to accept that. Maybe it was as high as 75 percent ultimately cast votes for Hillary Clinton. Maybe it was 80%. I don't know. But even if we take the most, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, liberal estimate here and, and call it 90%, if only 10% of the Bernie people ultimately voted for Jill Stein, her numbers would be double or triple what they that, were. That's right. Let me, let me recommend a book that people ought to read to get a, a, a kind of a, a handle on, on exactly how um, complex and ingenious the corruption of our voting system really is, because it isn't actually only a matter of, of uh, fiddling with the voting machines per se and the, and the optical scanners that count the votes. It also extends to the corruption of the exit poll system. 
um, you know, in this country, we don't regard the exit polls as serving as a check on the official count, which is bizarre because that's the function that exit polls serve all over the world. Here, we say exit polls are not meant to, to, to serve as a check on the official count because our elections are never stolen. Here, we're told exit polls are simply there to provide the media with demographic data for the kind of ritual bloviating that goes on for days after the uh, race and we're told who voted in what way and why, you know. Also in this country, and this is even more bizarre, the exit polls are routinely adjusted after the fact. The unadjusted or raw uh, exit poll data is replaced with exit poll numbers that are essentially brought into line with the official count and there's some kind of statistical rationale for this. The fact is that, that you have to get your hands on the early unadjusted exit polls, which are often released prematurely by the media. The exit poll numbers you referred to early in our conversation are the unadjusted exit poll numbers. The adjustment of the exit poll numbers is one way in which the you know, kind of enormous illusion that's perpetrated by a stolen election is sort of legitimated uh, uh, after the fact by what looks like sound statistical evidence. And I believe that this extends as well to opinion polling too, that opinion polls are cooked. And we know from the WikiLeaks emails that in, yeah. in a few cases, you know, Team Clinton was involved in getting the media to oversample Democrats, for example. This happened with an MSNBC poll, which gave uh, the impression that Hillary was, you know, much, much farther ahead than she actually was. There's a very good book on this entire problem, you know, the, the, the wholesale corruption of the voting system by Jonathan Simon. It's called Code Red, Computerized Election Theft and the New American Century. I recommend it very strongly. Uh, there's a website that, devoted to the book Code Red, and you can get it online. And if you and like, you if you like raw, it, it, and you can get the raw exit poll numbers from Jonathan Simon at codered2016.com. That's exactly right. Uh, they're also on my Facebook page for people who you know want to go there. You know, I got to say, Mark, I also when I spoke to Bob uh, Fetrakis, I also asked him as a kind of a devil's advocate point because, and this is actually what I said to you when you first when when you first uh, corresponded with me on this subject that well, what about the you know the so-called underground Trump vote? You know, the people who voted for Trump but would never admit it, so that it wasn't reflected in the pre-election opinion polls, uh, you know, and so forth, and and maybe that accounts for the discrepancy between the exit poll data and uh, the final vote tallies, you know, and Bob had an interesting point. He said, look, the people who do the exit polls, they are very, very good at what they do. They know how to uh, how to prevent that type of thing from happening. And he said, more importantly, exit polling is specifically about what has already happened. It's not future you know, forecasting. It's what's already happened. And somebody who doesn't want to admit who they voted for simply won't respond when an exit pollster asks them. That's right. They simply walk past them. So exit poll data, and we've seen this from many elections previous is incredibly reliable. That's right. It's, it's the most reliable data you could possibly get. And so when you compare it to these final vote counts, forget the so-called underground Trump vote or the fake Hillary voter or the, you know, those who stayed home or whatever. Exit poll data is what it is. 
and it's accurate. And if you can't accept that the results, the discrepancy is at least worth investigating, then you are the proverbial ostrich with your head in the sand. That's right. Uh, or if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem, you know. That's right. Um, Mark, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just we're, we're running out of time here. I do want to ask you a couple of other questions okay. that are not specific to the voting, uh, but – you mentioned earlier in our conversation, you felt, or at least you kind of articulated a theory that maybe Hillary got played, you know, that she was essentially used, uh, you know, to destroy Bernie and then, you know, basically shown the door. Right. Uh, and it's entirely possible. I'm perfectly willing to entertain that. The other, the other possibility, though, and this is what I want to get your take on, is it possible that the fix was in for Hillary – but that over the course of the lead up to the general election, she had become so compromised, so unable to really marshal the, the kind of support publicly that she needed to have legitimacy, that the ruling establishment that wanted to put her in power shifted to Trump, thinking Trump was more, uh, more worthy of their support, more easily able to marshal the kind of public opinion necessary to carry out what they they need. In other words, did the ruling class rats jump from the Clinton ship to the Trump ship? And what does that tell us about the Trump ship? Oh, yeah. No, I, I mean, what I was uh, saying all along prior to the election, and, you know, I say this with some embarrassment, I was assuring people that Trump couldn't win because the interests backing Hillary are so Me mighty. Too. I mean, we're talking about the Pentagon, the CIA, uh, APAC, the neocons, big pharma, big oil, Wall Street. I mean, you know, they're going to let uh, uh, their favorite candidate lose to a loose cannon like Donald Trump. And I, and I think that was a very sound argument, which then suggests, as you say, that what may have happened was that, that Hillary was, by the election time, so badly damaged and or maybe so unwell, for all we know, that it, it seemed to them that she would no longer serve their purposes, uh, that is to say, no longer effectively front for their interests. L l let me elaborate on this. I think that, um, you know, I think that Barack Obama is kind of a propaganda masterpiece. I mean, if you wanted to um, promote uh, a, a, an agenda on war and Wall Street and food policy and uh, energy policy and so on, that in, in, in many ways was worse than Bush Cheney's. And if you wanted to do it in a way that would keep the liberal masses and most Democrats dozing happily, what, what more effective way to do that than to have that agenda uh, carried out or, or superintended by someone like Barack Obama, you know, someone who seems as different from George W. Bush as could be, you know, yeah. our first black president, uh, extremely uh, uh, charming and witty soft-spoken and and so on um i i think that's what happened uh, over the last eight years uh, he started five more wars he uh took a more stringent stand on civil liberties than arguably all our prior presidents combined you know with five or six uses of the espionage act i mean i could go on and on i mean george w bush could not have gotten away with that and I, I, I think that the plan was, and here I grant I'm simply speculating, but I think that for a while it's possible the plan was to have our first woman president carry that particular ball from the hands of our first black president. 
and pursue a, a, a reactionary agenda, uh, you know, in a way that would not arouse the kind of stiff resistance that you're going to get when it comes from an overt retro-fascist uh, bully boy like Donald Trump, you see. Now, that may have gone out the window as uh, Hillary became so, um, you know, awesomely bogged down with all kinds of baggage by Election Day that, that, that it was just not possible for her to take the reins of power without having to live through all kinds of investigations and further scandals and God knows what else. What, you know, what other skeletons are rattling around in that gigantic closet of the Clintons, you know? So, oh, yeah, sure. I, I think it's Absolutely. quite I, – I, the short answer is that, yeah, I think that's quite possible, what you suggest. You know, I, I don't know I don't know how else to explain it. You know, I, I like you, I was convinced to the point where I didn't even really feel it was necessary to watch on election night. I was convinced that Hillary was a shoo-in, and in fact, I was convinced that it wasn't even going to be all that close um you know because of the danger of a narrow loss for for a lot of the base that Trump has um but here we are and i think it's i think it's not only uh quite possible i think it's the most likely explanation for how we've gotten to this point because it really does in my opinion um it 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 validates the argument about the election being stolen. You see, the election would not have been stolen for Trump if the people at the very top didn't want it to be. Yeah, right. And ultimate and ultimately, if the numbers are what they are. The data, to me at least, shows clearly that the election was stolen. If we assume that is true, then that means decisions were made at the top echelons of the ruling establishment on Wall Street and elsewhere that a Trump administration would be more beneficial than a Clinton administration. And is Trump unpredictable? Well, in some ways, yes, but in some ways, no, because, you know, if you're really a, a good manipulator, the unpredictable becomes predictable. Or maybe you could say he's predictably unpredictable. In other words, in other words, you might not be able to control the stuff that comes out of his mouth, but you can certainly control the policies that come that that come before him for him to sign. And the kind of people that are being gathered together, the kind of forces that are being marshaled for this Trump administration, to me, that's what it reeks of. It reeks of an administration designed to carry out the most right wing, radically reactionary agenda maybe we've ever seen. No, I think that's absolutely true, and I and I let's let's not succumb to the temptation to. Well, let's not just simply echo this description of Trump as an outsider because he's really not an outsider. Right. You know, he, he may be an outsider to the Washington establishment, but this is a guy with a long history of deep involvement in New York City politics and real estate, which is, you know, that means involvement with the mafia. Which is an aspect of his record, by the way, that that the uh, liberal media was strangely silent on. You know, uh, only I, I don't know. I wrote about it. I, I don't know if anybody else did. Honestly, I wrote last summer, summer 2015. I wrote an article called "Donald Trump: A Different Shade of Green." Okay, and basically, <laughs> I remember that. Basically, the article was was simply arguing that Donald Trump is different in the sense that the Koch brothers represent legal criminality and Donald Trump represents illegal criminality, legal capital, 
illegal capital, Wall Street speculation, casino gambling. I mean, it was just a different flavor of the same kind of criminal uh, um, element where the Koch brothers might be involved in promoting fracking. Donald Trump might be involved with Fat Tony Salerno and Roy Cohn and the and the and the you know the mafia in Atlantic City and in Philadelphia and in New York City. In other words, it's just a different kind of criminal. That's right, a criminal nonetheless. Well, I mean, now that he's president, I you know I, I want to recommend a terrific documentary that came out in the 90s and that Trump had killed called Donald Trump, What's the Deal?, which is produced by uh, my friend Libby Handros and now has a new lease on life. You know, I think French TV just bought it. Um, it's really, really good, and it's got a lot of stuff in it that would, never came up in all the you know, uh, frenzied press coverage of his corruption and so on. Because And, and, and the, the uh, unauthorized biography of Donald Trump, which was written by, I'm blanking on his name from the Village Voice, um, Wayne uh, um, Barrett. Barrett, thank you. That's right, Wayne Barrett. Uh, you know, David K. Johnston has also written very well on, on Donald Trump. You know, it's it's now time for people to start reading up on, on him, and that would include his followers, but they won't do it any more than the Clinton people would ever bother to read a book like Partners in Power by Roger Morris. Yep. Not a right winger by any stretch of the imagination, and an essential uh, uh, study of the Clintons' whole joint history. Uh, you know, too few people are nonpartisan enough to acquaint themselves with certain basic facts of the matter. It's sad but true, you know. Well, and and that's the last point I want to I, I want to get at here. You know, you, you say nonpartisan, but I'm going to put it in uh, slightly more, I guess you could call it leftist language. For those people who consider themselves socialists, communists, anarchists, people who are out on the left, far left, but out you know the radical left, but outside of the Democratic Party, outside of you know the the establishment politics. Those people, in my view, have a special responsibility to do everything to mobilize and to organize against the Trump administration because, you know, the, the sort of uh, basking in the glory of the destruction of Hillary Clinton is going to do nobody any good when the Trump administration takes power. What we have to do now is organize against them and to delegitimize Trump and Trump's administration as much as possible. And and this 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 knee jerk reaction to condemn uh, activists on the streets uh, because they weren't active in the Obama administration, I find to be really kind of uh, disappointing to say the least. Look, gold is where you find it. And right now we're facing a very serious threat. And it's time for us to say, you know what, we have to do everything we can to bring together as many people as we can to do everything to stop Trump and to stop this administration, because that is now enemy number one. It had been Clinton and the Democrats. It's no longer them anymore. And we have to recognize that reality. That doesn't mean we forget everything that's happened the last eight years. It doesn't mean that we treat moveon.org and George Soros and these people as allies. They're not. They're enemies. But you have to you have to prioritize the enemy. And right now, I think we know where the enemy is. And it's not in blue. No, that's absolutely true. Uh, except for the cops. They wear blue, you know. And, well, and, and yes, now, yes. now under Trump, you know, their their tendency to summary execution yes. of black citizens is, is just going to get I worse. Said, I said exactly the same thing. And by the way, an un 
um, uh, a mostly undiscussed constituency for Donald Trump, the rank-and-file police and the rank-and-file military. Yeah. Now, the, the top military brass mo- mostly supported Hillary Clinton, but not exclusively. But as far as the cops on the streets and the, the, the regular soldiers overwhelmingly supported Donald Trump. Now, what's going to happen when those cops who are militarized, thanks to Clinton and Bush and Obama, fully militarized police who now see organizing going on against their guy? No, absolutely. I mean, it's like Giuliani time, right? And it may be Giuliani time with Giuliani as attorney general, you know? Literally, Uh, And it's it's just depressing to me that you even have to make the statement that the left has to be brought around to oppose this kind of thing. I mean, we have now a, a, a regime that is unabashedly uh, 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 supportive of, of the most brutal kind of, of racist and xenophobic violence and, and you know, also kind of tacitly anti-Semitic, although I, I have a feeling that that's going to get played down. Uh, but, um, you know, many, many citizens, many citizens, many of the same multitudes who are largely disenfranchised on Election Day are now at, at particular risk uh, from this uh, administration, this regime. And the problem is that the response is, well, you know, I mean, we could thank Obama for that. That was kind of where I where I had a bit of a disagreement with Tony Montero in a previous uh, conversation we had. You know that that well. You know you could thank Obama. You could thank the liberals and the Democrats for for giving you to for giving us uh, this moment and and all of the rest of that. Yeah, I mean that's true, but. I don't see that there's any points to be scored from that. Okay, fine. Yes, we did that. That that's what happened. Yes, everyone who supported Clinton and supported Obama is is in some way responsible for this, but so what? Okay, so you've proven that point. Then what? Yeah, right. I mean, no, that's absolutely yeah. true. I mean, I mean that has to be acknowledged, you know. The Democrats certainly cannot, you know, be uh, exonerated here. I mean, they were instrumental in making this happen not least through their theft of the nomination from Bernie Sanders, that having been established, you know, we have to move on quickly to do all we can to mobilize as many people as possible against what's in power now because, because that's where the danger lies right at this moment. And if those, no, if those Democrats don't want to come along with us, that's, uh, you know, that's unfortunate and contemptible, but, but you know, we can't keep focusing on these past battles, it seems to me. Well, and this and this idea that, you know, we have to, you know, we have to uh, not only uh, exclude all of the all of the people who were MIA all through the Obama administration. I, I mean, I get that on an emotional level that you don't want to, you know, to let the fox back into the hen house. I do understand that in some sense. But at the same time, you know. Maybe maybe letting the fox into the hen house isn't the worst thing when the other house is on fire. You know what I mean? Like in other words, in other words, we have to be we we have to be prepared to you know accept the reality of what we're facing and to understand that look, I mean, we can't be picking and choosing who are our allies. If you're on the right side of the fight, then so be it. Yes. All the while, uh, bearing in mind that that we need a viable voting system so that we can replace the foxes with genuine allies. If you see what I mean, and, absolutely. And keeping 
Yeah, go ahead. And keeping in mind, and keeping in mind that those same people that I'm saying you have to be somewhat understanding about will stab you in the back the first chance they get when a Democrat comes comes along that they want to vote for. So I fully understand that, and I fully understand that there will be attempts to take any anti-Trump movement and transform it into a pro-democratic party movement, just as they did during the Bush years. It's like I'm 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 watching a replay of all the same shit I've all already gone through right i know and people are falling for it again well that's that's one of the most uh, dispiriting things about this is this this remarkable inability to learn any lessons you know it happens seems to happen every four years you know and and enough already i mean it, it well and they'll say that we're the ones not learning a lesson mark they'll say haven't you learned your lesson you can't let move on.org and uh the big foundation funded organizations be part of anything you're doing blah 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 all of that okay on the one hand i understand that on the other hand you can't there's no way to exclude those groups. So rather, instead, what you do is you build your independent capabilities, your independent capacity, so that when those organizations insinuate themselves into a movement, they're not able to co-opt and dominate it. That's what it's all about. It's about a resilient opposition, one that's able to adapt and to not be controlled. If we can build something like that, then move on and all of the rest of them are going to be meaningless. Well, that's that's true. That's that's the nature of politics, after all, is forming tactical alliances at the appropriate time. Isn't that right? I mean, isn't that just common sense? I would think so. I would think so. And considering what we're facing, I, I don't see how anybody can sit there and say, well, I don't want to work with anybody who supported Obama. I don't want to work with anybody who was silent on Libya. I don't want to work with anybody who doesn't have the right position on Syria or whatever. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is That's the kind of petty, uh, uh, immature, and uh, um, just delusional politics that is so uh, perniciously pervasive on the left. Well, I know. I, I, I guess I, I, I want to tell a little story about a Facebook friend who, with whom I was arguing about all this stuff about the theft of the uh, you know, general election. And I invoked Greg Pallast's article on the cross-check system you know, and how the GOP used it on election day to purge the names of over a million voters from the electronic rolls. And her response to this was, I don't, I don't trust Greg Pallast because of his, uh, his stand on 9-11. You know, I mean, I didn't even know what to say to that. I mean, what, what, so, what, so everything he has to say will be discounted it, because yeah, he doesn't have it, the right position. It, it, you or know, I mean, the guy—he's an excellent reporter. He's never been faulted for for his uh, factual claims. His case about the cross-check system is is indisputable, and that's the issue here. You know, it's 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 not uh, 9/11. I mean, I, I I disagree with him on 9/11. Who cares? You know, <laughs> we're not talking about that. We're talking about something else. Um, yeah. So uh, it, it, people just have their own fixations and obsessions, and and at a time like this, as I think you're suggesting, we just can't afford to be sidetracked by these uh, by these these kinds of um you know or to make it or to make it personal see this is the problem is this isn't this isn't a personality thing this isn't a personal thing it's like you know i remember i remember you know my i i i probably say this too often so forgive me listeners uh but you know the the Iraq war and organizing around the Iraq war and the anti-war movement that was seminal for me that was what radicalized me that's what woke me up to really understanding how the world works and 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 everything so you know i 
to me, I witnessed firsthand what MoveOn.org is all about, what these foundation-funded Democratic Party front organizations are, how they manipulate, how they control movements, how they try to sidetrack them or transform them into Democratic Party operations. I witnessed it firsthand, so I don't need anybody to tell me not to trust MoveOn and Soros money and all of the... I know all of that. At the same time, if you're not willing to you know, swallow your pride or whatever it is for the greater goal of going up against the actually existing forces right now that are going to be brought to bear against you and your family and your friends and, and people all over the country. If you're not willing to do that, then it's time for you to get the fuck out of the way. No, I, I completely agree with that. And I say that as someone who has had his own frustrations with Move On whose grassroots membership, by the way, has consistently urged them to take election reform on as an issue, and they have refused to do it. You know, so. Um, and I say move on because that's the biggest one, yeah, but there are a so number many of organizations. Them. So many like of them, it, yeah. and it, it's all based on their funding and, and so on, and, and the funding is decisive, and the funding is often you know um, uh, kind of sinister. But you, 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 you pick and choose, and, and it depends on the battle you're fighting, uh, if you can fight it and win it through certain kinds of alliances that may make you queasy, you make those alliances, but you always keep your eyes open, you know, to the, to the, to the larger cause, you know, which in this case is, is basically uh, protecting what's left of our democracy, strengthening it and protecting our fellow citizens from a government that's going to hurt everybody, uh, including, you know, all of its most uh, enthusiastic supporters. Uh, they're going to get screwed too. There's no question about it. Can I tell you one thing that is somewhat gratifying to me? Uh, not not the, the danger itself is gratifying, but I did find it particularly amusing uh, how many people – first of all, I am consistently attacked by liberals and people on the left, progressives and so forth, because I do not believe in so-called gun control. I very much believe in protection of the Second Amendment for a variety of reasons, for you know, uh, self-defense purposes and so forth. And I'm not trying to get into that issue right now, but needless to say – I did find it gratifying to see how many people who have argued with me on that subject, as soon as Donald Trump was elected, they said, well, I guess I got to get some guns, right? <laughs> right. Well, they, you know, uh, black radicals have understood this for decades, haven't they? Exactly. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a whole panoply of sacred liberal causes, you know, that, that, that uh, should, should be up for question, you know? I mean, just as there are sacred causes on the right that should be up for question, uh, on, on that on that end of the continuum, you know, there's just too much orthodoxy in people's well, minds. I kept, I kept saying, you wait till the until an extreme right wing fascist type government comes into power, then you're going to run to your friend who's got the guns. Well, that's uh, the sad fact of the matter. Yes, I mean the government, the government should fear its people. You know, I mean Jefferson had that right. I mean, if a government doesn't fear its people, if a government feels that it can you know, basically manipulate or coerce the people into doing whatever it wants, uh, that government is, is by definition dangerous. It's tyrannical, to use the 18th century uh, terminology. 
Well, and this government, this government is no question going to be that. I mean, Trump, just as a personality, he has those, he has a lot of those traits using things like, you know, litigation to, to, to destroy people, to attack people, you know, attacking reporters and so forth. I mean, if you think for a second that I'm going to slow down in my own writing because I'm afraid of Donald Trump, you got another thing coming. And I know that's true for a lot of other people, but we do need to be aware we have made, I think, a qualitative shift here and now the forces of repression are going to be much more out in the open and overt and where the where the democrats might give you the death by a thousand cuts the republicans are looking to cut our heads off no i i think that's absolutely true and i would i would add too or rather i would i would say that um no let me let me rephrase this I, I, I want to um, uh, emphasize the urgency of the statement you just made by saying we don't really have much time to lose. This is not no. something we should sit back and wait before uh, beginning. I think we have to start it right now because um, they're going to hit the ground running, right? So we, we can't be complacent at this moment. I mean, it's clear what, what Trump's all about, what he's like. It's becoming ever clearer by the day what kind of a team he's assembling. So let's not, you know, uh, continue to bask in the glow of whatever, you know, uh, happiness we may feel at the uh, demolition of the Clinton machinery and the end of the Obama presidency, if, if that's the view we take of them. It's, it's time to get past that and focus on what's, uh, what's looming over us right this minute. I totally agree. All right, we'll have to leave it there. Mark Crispin Miller, uh, markcrispinmiller.com. Uh, the book, Fooled Again, The Real Case for Electoral Reform, I think – well, I hope you're going to see a, a, a resurgence in sales on that book because it's now once again very, very, very relevant to everything that's happening uh, here. And also uh, ForbiddenBookshelf.com, very good resource for people. Uh, thanks again for coming on the show, Mark. Okay, thanks, Eric. Great talking. Uh, listeners, thank you as always for checking in, and we'll speak to you again real soon. <laughs> 